Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe Knicks pod. I'm your co-host, Matthew Miranda, joined by the illustrious Stacey Patton. We will be your guides through this 75th history, 75th year in the history of the New York Knickerbockers. And for this particular episode, we want to focus on the last game the Knicks played, which was their biggest win probably since last season, um, which was the 99-90 win in Atlanta against the newly hated Hawks. We're also going to talk about the big decision today that was announced, where Tom Thibodeau at a press conference revealed that Kemba Walker is not only no longer in the starting lineup, but is out of the rotation for the foreseeable future. Um, what does all this mean for the Knicks? What, if anything, does the win mean going forward? Is there anything larger to take from benching Kemba Walker? Let's find out. Stacey Patton, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Uh, had a had a good weekend, uh, so uh, feeling refreshed. And uh, yeah, we've got a Knicks win. win. Yeah, very big win. Um, a game that I was definitely. I mean, they've they've had some nice games this year. They've they've played Milwaukee. They've beaten Philadelphia twice. They've they've had some good some good contests. But I was looking forward to this Hawks game already, probably more than any game they've had this year. And not only um, you know could you you want kind of revenge, however small it is for last season, but um, the Knicks really I felt like. Fair or not, I was going to take more from that game than the usual game. Um, not only in terms of, okay, you made all your changes in the offseason in part because of the, the beating this team put on you. Let's see how it looks. But also, this is a team that quite possibly the Knicks are going to be fighting this year for playoff positioning and seeding. And just you want, you know, you want confidence and you want all that stuff going in. And um, I really thought from start to finish, it was a fairly impressive performance. Um, the Knicks were extremely shorthanded. They were missing Derrick Rose. Uh, Kemba Walker sat out the back end of a back-to-back. Uh, Nerlens Noel was unavailable. Taj Gibson was not there. And they really had to dig deep into their roster. And we hear all the time about how depth is a Knicks strength. And top to bottom, everybody who played in that game contributed something significant, I thought. Yeah, I mean... Um... Yeah, it's uh, you're one hundred percent right about that game mattering more. Um, you know, it's. I mean, for one thing, the East is so wide open. Um, you know, we talked about this. Um, besides Milwaukee and Brooklyn, there isn't really anyone you can put really in a tier above the Knicks, right? Uh, Chicago's looked really good. Uh, they're probably a little bit better than the Knicks, but they are in our range. And Atlanta is exemplary of that. Those are teams we have to beat. And they, I mean, um, you know, you try not to harp too much on, on the revenge factor, but for me, it was less about just revenge, although it was pretty sweet to put Trey back in his place, but that is exactly the kind of team that has exposed the Knicks lately, and the, the Hawks laid out the blueprint, right? Send doubles at Randall, um, you can lay off the center, um, you can hide Trey Young on defense. So it's really the way that the Knicks kind of showed that they have an answer for some of those narratives. Like, even the game that won last year... Um, you know, they didn't really answer those questions against the Hawks. So you look at how they won, you know, you had Alec Burks punishing Trey Young all night, right? Um, you know, it, um, you know, they, they, they weren't able to, to do that with him. I mean, you know, it's, it's not, you can't just blame Reggie Bullock because Burks had minutes last year too, but they weren't able to deploy him that way today they, or Saturday. They did. Um, I, I, let me just say, I, I think they gave Burks contract this year. He's bounced around the league a lot. And I've felt last year, I felt like this guy has so much skill, um, you know, and I think uh, NYK Terry and Trey um, had a great tweet and, and he said, um, Alec Burks is like a superstar that, uh, you know, finished at 73% loading, uh, <laughs> you know, and, um, and that was so, cause like he, he used to have all, like he, he has all of these, like, he has this thing where he'll just make the sweet move to get to the rim yes. and then he'll just brick the layup. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year you've seen less of that. You've seen a huge improvement on defense. Um, I, I think quickly is the best point of attack defender, but Burks is right up there and his size gives him switchability. He's been shooting the lights out. Um, he's improved. He's never going to be a point guard. Like, you know, we can talk about that, that move, 
but he's improved as a passer and he make it make the right reads and he doesn't stop the ball the way he used to. Mm-hmm. Um, that was encouraging. They got Jericho Sims in there. Um, and again, I think one play that really stands out um, to me uh, was, you know, they, the, the Hawks ran a pick and roll. They actually didn't run it with Trey. I think it was Kevin Herter who ran it, but they ran it with, um, with Capella who has destroyed the Knicks. He had a good game, um, but they hedged the pick and roll with Jericho Sims and Alec Burks was in the corner guarding Trey Young. So that's a no that's a no win situation usually, right? You have Capella rolling to the rim, you got Trey in the corner, right? Damned if you do, damned if you don't. He not only cut off the pass to Trey, he actually recovered quick enough to steal the ball, push the ball down the court, and then Sims had a had a putback. Uh, so those were encouraging things. Um, I thought the bench played well. Um, quickly didn't shoot the ball well, but he, he off the bench in the point guard role with Burks in the starting lineup and rose out. I thought he he once again showed this passing has really improved. Um, and then the last thing I will say um, is this: I do think this. So it, it was, and, and you know, by the way, we beat the Hawks, and Randall didn't play that. He didn't shoot the ball that well. He was three for fourteen, but they were able to create the offense around him. Mm-hmm. And I think Burks had a role in that. Fournier played well too. I, I think Fournier is, is very much a um, a bellwether for this team. But the last thing I'll say is, yeah, uh, that was the first good R.J. Barrett game in a while. Um, and I do think um, it wasn't mixing, it wasn't working well with him and Kemba. Uh, I think in general, giving him more minutes with the bench helps. But uh, that was encouraging to see. His shooting is still, you know, not great, but he was, I think, 15 points. And, you know, he shot the ball well, he got, got to the rim well. Um, which, and again, all of these guys, the last time they played that team, struggled. No one had a good series. So... Um, so not just the fact that they won, but the way they were able to do it, the way we'll, you know, the way quickly was able to, to really hang with Trey in the fourth, uh, we needed that. Mm-hmm. I used to think that, um, Frank Nelikina's when, when, when they first drafted Nelikina and we didn't really know anything about him, I thought that his ideal destiny would be something Andre Iguodala-ish where like, he's not a great shooter. He's never going to be a great shooter, but has such defensive versatility and can be at least a secondary like ball handler and creator, like a guy who can do a lot of things, but he's not going to be like an all-star scorer. Obviously, that's army knife. Yeah. Yeah. And that didn't turn out that way, obviously with Frank, but Barrett has struck me more and more. I I think especially because of his defensive um, work as, okay, like maybe that's the way to view RJ Barrett because He's still super, super young, and he shot so well last year that like maybe it means something. But at this point, at this point in history, we have one year at Duke and two plus years of in the pros, and he's shooting right now more the way he did as a rookie, which is not great. He's around forty percent, maybe a little over forty from the field. Um, and I don't know if he'll ever be steady. I don't know if you'll ever see last. Who knows. But last year may be an outlier. That may be like, wow, what a great year. But he's so – the number of games where you see like, okay, he's got seven or eight rebounds, and he's got maybe like four assists, and he's defending the other team's top wing and doing a nice job of it and getting out on the break. Like I, I really feel that I'm having to shift my perspective on him, but that it's interesting what you say, that like 48 might be more of a bellwether for this team than even a more – seemingly valuable player like Barrett. Um, Fournier had had big spots, especially in the third. The Hawks had, a, I think, a 16-0 run that bridged the two quarters, and it was starting to look like, uh-oh. And they were up six, and Fournier got a quick five points, just like that, a three and a two, and it just settled everything back down. I thought what was really interesting in that game was I went into it excited to see, like, okay, you know, before I knew Kemba wasn't playing – how do Kemba and Fournier look? Because the Knicks clearly decided after last season, we need creativity. We need off the dribble ability in our backcourt. And I thought one of the biggest differences in this game from anything in the playoffs last year was actually the two centers who were not there last season. Uh, Mitchell Robinson was obviously out injured and Jericho Sims was in college. They're big dudes. And thank God, because Capella would have had like 40 rebounds if it was anybody else. But Mitchell Robinson, who still is not 100% and who banged up either his knee or his ankle again, toughed out like 11 rebounds, I think, in like 27 minutes. And Jericho Sims in a big spot, you know, he has a he has a role and he knows it and he doesn't step outside of it. And 
And it was really nice seeing the Knicks with, you know, some legitimate beef in the post. And I think that really mattered. The Hawks missed a million shots in the paint um, that I feel like if it's Taj and Noel, maybe some of those go in just because Mitch and Sims are so tall and hoppy, you know? I, th- I thought it was really interesting that one of the biggest impacts on the game were not, you know, big name additions, but people who weren't there last season. Yeah, uh, 100% agree. That Mitch has, I think Mitch has looked better. Um, I will also say that um, Sims was eye-opening um, because having watched him in preseason, even Summer League, Summer League he played well, but it was very clear that um, he's green, right? Um, he, he looked lost on, I, I'm, I'm going to be brutal because it shows how far I think he's come in such a short period of time. Um, earlier this season and in, you know, he was brutal on defense, seemed completely lost. Um, you know, um, on offense, really just a lob threat, you know, screens weren't great, uh, even though he had good gravity. Uh, and then just and, and Saturday, um, and I had said I I was on another pod last week, and I was saying, um, you know, I I think Obi Toppin needs more minutes. We can discuss that separately, but you know, it was frustrating to see earlier in the season when the bigs would be out instead of playing Obi at the five, we would play Sims, and I I didn't like that. And uh, he's, on Saturday, he made me eat a lot of crow. Um, he had team high, or he had plus fourteen. Barrett was a team high plus eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, just his mobility, just knowing where to be in pick and roll. He sets better screens than Mitch, by the way. That's something worth monitoring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and he used the 58th pick in the draft. And you really saw it all come together. And I mean, Kenny Payne and the staff deserve a lot of credit. He obviously deserves a lot of credit for putting in that work because that's the kind that's the transformation that really took Mitch two years to make. And and Sims looks to be there now. And that's going to throw a wrench because Noel has. Uh, you know, Nerlens Noel is a very unique player, and he has unique skills. Uh, shout out um, Liam Neeson, but um, you know he he also has his shortcomings, and Sims can provide a different look. It's a look they didn't have last year. Mm-hmm. Mitch, same thing. We know what he's capable of. Um, you know, Capella had a lot of rebounds, but Mitch did a good job there as well. Battled. Um, you know, provides a big body. Even with the weight gain, he's still more mobile than a lot of other centers can handle that pick and roll. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, you hate to pick on Noel and certainly Taj, but that was a weakness guarding pick and rolls with our bigs. Uh, Taj for Taj was probably a little bit better uh, in many ways um, than Noel last year. I thought he was more often in the right space, but he has the athletic limitations uh, at this stage in his career. And Noel, um, you know, is mobile, but you know, he doesn't have the size to, um, you know, he wasn't, he didn't, he didn't get it done last, last year in the playoffs. So I think you're hundred percent right. Uh, what the bigs gave us was something we were missing. Um, and then all that said, you know, Capella and Trey still killed the Knicks <laughs> on Saturday, right? Uh, look at the box score now, 49 combined. Trey still did what Trey did. Um, but I think in the fourth quarter, they really had a big advantage when they played quickly and Burks together quickly as a pest at the point of attack right now. It's not just Trey Young. Mm-hmm. He was in, you know, the Knicks obviously didn't have a good result, but quickly went at Chris Paul all game, really frustrated him. Um, and I think um, I think both of those guys are going to have to play a bigger role because, I, again, I do like Fournier a lot. Um, I would go so far as to say Fournier is, at minimum, the Knicks' third best offensive player. Um, that's not a knock on Alec Burks or a knock on Emmanuel quickly. I just think Fournier gives you, when you look at how complete of a player he is, he can get to the rim, he can shoot, he can get his own shot, he can shoot off movement. He's a good passer. Um, he is really important. Um, and, um, you know, he's had some shooting woes, but if you look at his career, that I expect that to get changed. Um, and, and another thing I'll mention with Fournier uh, again, it's you don't want to pick on Kemba, but when the three of them have played together, they've played about 400 minutes, they have a negative 12 net rating. But Randall and Fournier have also played about 130 minutes without Kemba. And at that time, they have a plus 12 rating. And the defensive rating is 97, which that is even more eye-opening because wow. the assumption has always been that Randall and Fournier, you cannot construct a good defense around them. Mm-hmm. But you can um, it's really, you know, it was Kemba that was singing that unit. Um, so, you know, you look at those two guys and, you know, we want to see more Obi minutes, but there's a reason I think Randall is playing those two guys a lot together is because, 
come playoff time, that is probably going to be, if not the bread and butter, a heavy staple of the Knicks offense. And when it works, you can see the kind of chemistry those two guys have together. You know, you have two guys who can run a DHO, both can pop, both can get to the rim. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you help too much, both are capable passers. So, Yeah, I wrote a piece today um, for the Strickland on their on their subscription um, access service about uh, the Randall Barrett fit and looking at it, you know, from rookie Randall's Barrett's rookie year till now. And one of the things that's been interesting looking at the lineup um, data, and you mentioned just now, I, I feel like for a while there was this vibe that Kemba and Fournier are hurting the Knicks. And when you dig into it, especially the last couple of years, like basically if you give Randall and Barrett a, a good to compete like Randall and Barrett with Rose since last season are all great numbers, great net ratings um, separately, three man lineups, different kinds of four and five man lineups. It's really Peyton and then Kemba this year and Kemba's numbers so far. I know it's early, but like it, it was, it was along with what you're saying. I thought it was interesting that Fournier I feel like Fournier has Fournier has had moments where you really like value like wow like that guy brings something that we have and maybe he brings more than I realized that he that he did and it's extremely exciting to see it with Burks because you saw in that game when the Knicks have a whole team that's basically six six and taller and they can just switch everything like it was a whole it was a different it was like watching a different Trey Young still had like you said a great game. Um, statistically, they, they locked up everyone else, and I, I think uh, it's a weird thing to say, but you would rather Trey give you 33 points than 12, 13 assists. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> right? um, so it's tough to say with a straight face that the Knicks accomplished their job, but uh, he wasn't kicking out the shooters, and when he was, they weren't hitting, yeah. uh, and they weren't in rhythm, right? Um, you know, uh, Hawks fans on Twitter were saying, you know, that the Hawks missed a lot of open threes, and that's fair. We've been on the other end of that, but I, I really, to your point, yeah, I thought their defensive effort and game plan against him was much better. So, The last thing that really struck me about the game, again, along the theme of things that they didn't have going for them last year that they do now, and, and one of the really great, as great as last season was for the Knicks, like one of the things that, I had earmarked for myself as a sign of a meaningful success was, are they going to develop some of these young players? Because before that, in the prior administration, for all the hype about everyone they were going to get right, Kevin Knox regressed. You know, the Kena never really took off. They, they signed a bunch of former lottery picks that, you know, Moutier, Burke, Hazonia, Vonley, and didn't really make anything out of any of them. So last season, the way Barrett improved, and the way and that then you had the block on LeBron, though. Let's not forget that. <laughs> there are, so, yes, into every, <laughs> into every hell, there's a little bit of light. But what I thought was really striking was you saw last year young players um, showed improvement, particularly Barrett, obviously. Um, but quickly was better, I think, than expected. And at the end of the year, Obi showed, like, hints. And now this season, in that game, Toppin and N quickly were – major impacts in the playoffs last year quickly was yeah on and off and Toppin was effective in kind of very small specific doses but in that game like Toppin made a difference quickly made a difference on both ends all night and it's another I think that Sims ability to have a clearly defined role and not be asked to do what he can't do and really be productive at it I, I was very happy to see how much of that came from the Knicks young players and the Knicks and young players in a big spot doing more than maybe we, we expected or have often seen of them because it's just, it's just such a different look for this team. If the youth is hitting too, rather than getting lucky with Alec Burks and wondering if Julius Randall is regret, like it was such a big thing. I thought. Yeah. I mean, I think Tibbs is starting to trust them more. Um, you know um, that helps. Uh, Obi Obi needs more minutes. Um, I'm not saying he needs to get them at Randall's expense. The Knicks have bigs, um, but just the energy he brings. I've talked about it a lot. Um, the scary thing is he's extremely efficient already, and his three point shot, which I expect to get better because I don't think it's, there's anything really wrong with his form, mm-hmm. isn't really falling. Like that guy is a scary player if that's falling. 
Um, you're 100 right though. They're they're going to need more out of their, the kids this year, um, and they're, they're going to need. I think that you can. What this move tells me with Kemba going to the bench, right? Other than the fact that you know it really was time, it tells me that Tibbs has uh, is not going to be complacent this year, right? Um, it was a little surprising that it happened when it did. Um, you know, he had. A, I'm not even comparing it to the Alfred situation. Um, it's just you know Tibbs doesn't really make moves lightly. Um, and I think the fact that he did that shows that, um, you know, that I think that they're, they're 11 and nine. So it's not like they're behind schedule. They're at 44 wins. And this was an argument I think you saw from a lot of people on Twitter, Knicks fans, you know, people are saying, um, right or wrong that, you know, we weren't really expected to, we weren't really expected to contend for, for anything this year. So 11 and nine, that's 44 win pace or so. Like, why are you complaining? And I, don't, I think this shows that Tibbs isn't looking at it that way. Um, I think he knows this is a talented team. And, um, you know, um, Fred Katz posted a stat today. So with Kemba off the floor, the Knicks net rating would be the best in the NBA. Um, with him on the floor, I believe they're 20, they're, 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 they're worst or, or very low. Um, and then the same thing for the offense is 27th and 9th. And he's only playing 24 minutes a game, so it's not like all of those minutes are against subs, you know, the, the, the minutes where they're performing well. And it's not like all of those minutes are against starters. Uh, and th- that's a dramatic difference. Um, and you know, it's it's really tough to see. I, I wanted to work out with Kemba. I hope they keep him and he can carve out a role, you know, maybe something like Gary Payton on the Heat, um, you know, where he can contribute because it was really nice for him to come home, uh, for all of that to happen. But this is a team with big aspirations right now, and um, and I think this this could really allow them to take off because when he's not been on the floor, it raises everyone level everyone's level. Um, you know, also when you're talking about Randall and RJ, those are two guys who depend so much on energy. Um, you know, Randall is a guy whose defense feeds off his offense for better or worse. You can argue about whether that's good or not, but it just it is a thing with him. Um, and so when when the offense isn't flowing, when he gets frustrated, and you see his effort wane on defense, for RJ, it's also that is a guy who thrives on movement. Um, when the ball is bouncing around, when people are getting in the paint and giving him opportunities to attack a scrambling defense, that's where he really shines. He's not he can run pick and rolls. Um, you'd like to see him do that more. Uh, but the two things he's bad at is when he has to stand in a corner and watch someone else run an ISO. And when he's asked to just create something on his own, um, but when there's flow on offense, um, you know that very Genesequa type thing, um, you know he he really shines. Um, and I think um, and I, I think Kemba was Kemba wasn't pushing the pace on offense, wasn't able to get the, to get them into those kind of sets. A lot of the possessions devolved into those kind of isolations for him, Randall. Or even when RJ got the ball, it was more take turns. And that was the bigger problem than, you know, Kemba being unathletic or something like that, right? Uh, and, and it was probably related at this point um, because he in his past, he has been able to push the pace. He has been able to dictate the offense to the defense and create for, for others, and, and he wasn't able to do that. Um, and Burks will probably be more effective in that role. But more importantly, I think they're going to get up and down the floor more. There's going to be more movement and off-ball stuff they run when Julius has the ball. And, um, and yeah, I think, I think the team has the talent, um, to really take off and do a lot better than they have if, if, uh, if those guys are unlocked. Speaking of Randall, you, you tweeted a stat that I found really astonishing from Per Synergy, which was a look at the top five NBA players in points generated passing out of the post. And there's a lot of names there you would expect. Embiid is fifth, Jokic is fourth, Giannis is third. In AD is number one, right? Yeah, AD is number one um, for total points generated from passing out of the post. Second is our boy Julius Randle. And in Hello? points per possession, Randle is actually ahead of all of those guys. Um, question for you. I have a couple of Nick Randle big man questions. One is, I thought the Atlanta game was very emblematic of, I think, the whole Julius Randle experience with the Knicks, which is... If you looked at the the box score, like he did not shoot well. Atlanta clearly to this point seems to have his number. Um, we and 
I feel like he even doesn't feel like he's going to make the shot from outside. Um, but in in almost every other aspect of the game, you know, he had 11 rebounds. Um, he had four assists. He had a lot of, you know, possible assists where, you know, someone just didn't finish the shot. I saw moments, particularly matched on Trey Young, where I think Randall is better than people maybe would think because of his size. Sometimes when he gets isolated against um, like players on the perimeter, and I thought there were a couple possessions, at least two or three, where he did a really good job of, of staying with Trey Young and kind of ending a, a, a possession for the Hawks. Yeah, does Randall um, have to shoot? Like, where are you? And like, how much? How much of a positive factor can Randall be with all the stuff that he does if he shoots, you know, closer to 43% this year and 36 from three instead of, you know, 48 and the 41 that he put up last year? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. He does a um, lot, but I don't know if he's – in fact, that was in the piece I wrote today also. If you look at Randall's career – He's had seven basically full seasons, and three of them he was coming up for a new contract. In those three years, he's shooting, I think it's 51% from the field. Um, In the other years, non-contract years, he's 46%. And the difference from three is, I think, 38 and – oh, I had it written down. 38 and, like, much lower. Um, I'm not suggesting that Julius Randle only cares in contract years, but my question – my point from that is he's a player who's had a lot of success in the league despite never being a consistently great shooter. On this team, do you think Randall can be the second best player if this is the shooter that he is? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, my answer is going to be yes, um, but there are some caveats. So number one, um, he is taking a lot of pull-ups and a lot more threes than he has been. So if he shoots 36% from three, um, but it's on this volume, I'm pretty okay with that. That's still decent. Uh, the bigger factor, I think, is the mid-range. Like last year, um, you know, he was putting up very good. Last year, between three and 10 feet, he was 41%. Between 10 and 16 feet, he was 43%. Between 16 and 3.41, which is not the most efficient shot, but that is... Very good shooting on a dip, on a low percentage shot. This year, all of those numbers are in the 30s. Um, and I think early in the season, actually, when the offense was moving around a lot, we saw that those percentages of his diet were lower. Um, but um, um, and, and they they are lower now. But he's hitting those at a lower rate, uh, and he's only shooting 33 percent from three. The other thing I'll say is right now. Of his two-point field goal attempts, only 31% are assisted. I haven't looked at how that changes with Kemba on and off, but that is a career low. Even last year, when he wasn't getting assisted twos, that he was at 34%. Okay, wow. So for, for his career, he's at 40, 45% of his twos are assisted. Wow. Um, so and I think Alec Burks is actually a good partner for that. Running him more with Fournier is a good partner for that. Um, and... Um, and to put it blunt, I think more than even the point guard situation, when he plays with Nerlens Noel, uh, like Mitch at least has the vertical threat, but Noel is such a non-factor on offense that it really affects pick and roll ability. Like you can't run it with the other player on the floor, um, you know. And on drives, they're going to collapse. So I think those numbers will go up. And I think you know he's not shooting thirty-six percent from three; he's shooting thirty-three right now. If he shoots that, um, you know, on, that's concerning. But I think if he gets to you know, he's shooting above league average volume. If he can shoot about league average or slightly above from three, uh, you're still looking at a guy who can get to the rim, who draws a lot of fouls. Um, and I, I think that, um, you know, he can be a moderately efficient player, um, even if he shoots league average from three or a little bit little bit higher. Um, why I think that can still work is because of his playmaking. Uh, because he's still doing a good job of that, passing the ball. Um, so even though he's been inefficient this year, um, I think the key is getting him more unassisted looks, or it's more assisted looks at the rim. And I think that the three-point shooting will tick up a bit to where it was before. Um, he should also get more catch-and-shoot opportunities with, um, you know, with with improved ball movement. Um, 
So, yeah, that's not the best answer to your question. But I think um, I think a version of Julius Randle that is league average takes slightly less load in terms of creation, but is still able to do that. Um, you know, is still a valuable player. Um, the question is, can he be the first or second best player on a championship team? And that's where I'm like a no. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you another Randall question because I feel like everybody, probably within the coaching staff too, feels like we need to see more Obi Toppin. And like you were saying earlier, Randall's minutes, I believe, are down a little bit from last season, but like. Tom Thibodeau's not going to drop Julius Randle down to like 30 minutes a game. So it seems like if Obi's going to play more, Obi's going to play with Randle. Are, are there that many teams that we have to worry about just being killed by their bigs that the Knicks can't play Randle on top? Like people always say oh, the centers are dead, and then they're not. Like good teams tend to have good big men. Um let me pause this for one second because my dog's about to throw a fit if I don't let him out of this room. Um, just give me one second. I'm going to pause this. Yeah, so you hear centers are dead, but they're not. But it's certainly not the 90s. Um, and in the playoffs, maybe things change. But do you feel like do you feel like more Randall Toppin 4-5 is a good thing for this team, not just in the regular season, but do you think if it is really effective in the regular season, that it's something that Thibodeau would consider? It's very hard to, that's kind of a dumb question. I can't ask you to guess what Tom Thibodeau might do in the playoffs, but I would say the Kemba move to me gives at least a little bit of hope that there is more flexibility than Thibodeau maybe sometimes is credited with. This is his, you know, whatever third job, um, People who have seen him in other places have said he's more loose and more relaxed by whatever standard. Um, That's definitely the vibe you get from from Tips, you know, when you watch him on the sideline, loose and relaxed. We'll do a whole episode on Tips' sideline demeanor um, another time. But I suppose the question is, um, what is the danger in playing... I'm going to edit all this, so I'm just I'm stumbling my way through it. That's not the question. Um, I guess the question is, let me ask you this. How high do you think the upside can be of a Nick team that has Randall Toppin playing 5-4 versus a Nick team that has Mitch and Randall or Mitch and Obi or free agent generic center X? Like, I feel like... Certainly offensively, Randall and Toppin can pummel people. I mean, Toppin's really, like you said, I think you said terrifying earlier. Like, it's amazing how far we've come from, like, a year ago with Obi Toppin to the glimmer at the end of last season to now, like, the Knicks have an all-NBA second player at the four, and everybody wants to see more of Obi Toppin. Yeah, um, I mean, th- there's a lot there. Um, so, so first of all, just talking about Toppin specifically, some of the you know one of the biggest things he gives to the Knicks, even in the half court, is you know the Knicks have guys like Emmanuel Quickly, Alec Burks, who are pull up shooting threats, so they're going to get pressured off the pick and roll, but they're not great at getting all to the rim. They're not great at you know the the Steve Nash keep your dribble in the middle until your guy rolls. Uh, and this is a problem Frank had to an, to an extent as well. So what it adds up to is oftentimes when they throw that that pocket pass off the pick and roll, it's getting to the big at the free throw line. That's not ideal with a guy like Mitchell Robinson or Nerlens Noel. Um, Taj can hit that jumper. What Obi can do is he can hit that that jumper. He can also just glide to the rim. Um, that is perhaps the most mesmerizing thing is that um, the guy takes one dribble from the free throw line. And he goes up and there's a guy in perfect position. And it's almost like watching Michael Jordan because, you know, Jordan would have all of those finishes where he would just go up and the other guy's in good position. You know, he pulls out a watch. Jordan just waits for him to fall down. And then he (laughs) he, he goes, goes over him. Right. That's what Obi does. Um, Or he goes around. He is a fantastic finisher and he can get, he's starting to get there. I don't want to say at will, but with a, 
with a high rate of frequency. Uh, and he energizes the entire team. I mean, the way he runs the floor, they play with much faster pace. Um, earlier in the year, the difference was the eighth highest pace in the lead versus 23rd um, when OB was playing. So, um, you know, so that that's big. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is, um, so, so can, can you use Randall and OB more? I believe the answer is yes, but he has also... I wonder how much of that is actually a Julius Randle question more than Obi Toppin question, because when Obi at the five has worked, um, or when they have played without a big, they have relied on scrambling. And, um, you know, if Randle isn't engaged on defense, um, you know, that's going to hurt. The other thing I will say is in terms of Tibbs being willing to experiment, I think he has actually. And with the bigs out, um, one thing that's been frustrating is I was a big proponent of RJ should get minutes at the four because he's a terrific rebounder. Yeah, yeah. That's happened a lot, but it's come at the expense of Obi Toppin minutes um, where it's like, this is the one time I'd rather just play RJ at three next to Obi and Randall. Um, but you can't have it all. But I think what that is illuminating towards is that RJ is better at closing out and gives you a little bit more mobility. And he's, he's probably a better rebounder at this point than Obi. Um, just because I think with Biggs, Obi, Obi is because of his verticality and motor, he still does a good job on the glass, but he's still working on some of his technique because he's a little bit, um, you know, top heavy. He struggles with boxing out and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think Tibbs and Tibbs has said multiple times that rebounding has has been a thorn in the Knicks side. So I believe that's probably more what's keeping him off than actually even rim protection because I think Tibbs recognizes that. Obi has his limitations on defense, but two things that he's great at are moving in a straight line and jumping very high, right? Uh, and, he has, and he has good instincts, right? And he's usually deployed that way, right? If you if you park him near the rim, right? Um, he's he's good at he's good at that aspect of rim protection. Where if someone's driving, he's going to go straight up. He's good at staying vertical. Mm-hmm. He can get super high, and that is tough to shoot over. Um, he's also great at hedging pick and rolls, jumping passing lanes when it's a simple read. What he's not great at is playing drop coverage or what he has to read and react and move his hips and, and be very agile laterally. Um, but Tibbs has deployed him well, and I think Tibbs trusts him in those situations. I think it's more uh, rebounding um, because he has trusted RJ over over Obi in that role. Uh, I don't know how much of it is shooting, but I would imagine that if Obi can can tick up his three-point shooting percentage, that'll help as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so to answer your question, do I think we'll see more of it? I hope so, um, because I think what I hope Tibbs realizes is that last year there were lots of flaws with the team, but one of the biggest ones is um, we didn't have any you know, ace in the hole, right? You need to have certain things. You need to have change of pace that you can switch up more than just, you know, um, this is, you know, it's almost like a team that like, you know, we're going to come out, run the ball down your throat. When that doesn't work, you need to have other counters. Um, this, this Obi and Julius lineup is a counter the Knicks can deploy. Um, having said that, you know, your point on, on having on good bigs around the league is salient. Um, you know, I think there's two guys who are, who teams love to run post offense through and and beat in Jokic, but then you have a guy like Giannis, AD is still there. Um, you know, and, and they can still kill you on the glass. And the one team that really made a small ball lineup work. Um, was deploying Draymond Green uh, Green and Andre Iguodala. Neither one of those guys is the shooter. Neither one of those guys is as good a shooter as Obi, let alone Randall. But they are superior defenders. Um, Obi has the motor to make that work. But I think you'll need to see consistent buy-in from Randall, particularly on the glass, for types to trust that more. But if they can use that, um, it really gives them a weapon against all kinds of teams, especially the one we just faced. Um, I think that was also a little frustrating. I loved that Sims got minutes, but I think Saturday was an opportunity to deploy that lineup because they were playing Danilo Gallinari at center mm-hmm. certain times, right? Um, you know, which maybe that was Mike D'Antoni's vision finally coming to fruition. <laughs> but um, that's those kind of opportunities, and that, that's how I felt last playoffs, right? You know, when they played Collins at center, I felt like that was an opportunity to get Toppin out there and next to Randall and open up the offense and, and get Randall some confidence and space. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope Tibbs capitalizes on those opportunities, but I think um, rebounding is really, he'll need to see more from them there before he he's willing to go to it more consistently. 
for, for, for fairer night. Yeah. The more you talk about Toppin, if anyone plays chess who's listening, he really, he just seems like a rook. Like Toppin is awesome going back and forth or like in any linear motion, but like he's not a bishop. He's not a queen. He doesn't have the, he doesn't have those hips, <laughs> but he is up and down, left and right. He is something to watch. Um, Hey, and I will say that considering that he has taken strides, like I've had him, I've seen him put in some really good on ball perimeter defensive positions. So to the extent that he can maximize that, he is doing a good job. And that's by no means to say he's a bad defender. He's, he's been much better than expected, but you know, it's still not, um, it's not Iguodala or Draymond Green level, right? So, or RJ Barrett level. That's the, yeah. Let me ask you one more. Um, and this is more of a, zoom out question um and maybe i am basking in the glow of the mets landing max scherzer today and for all the legitimate issues that there are with steve cohen um it is an absolute fact that going from the Wilbons to steve cohen is transformational culturally at least in terms of i will say the money um so I'm thinking franchises. I'm thinking moments that show cultural shifts. And I was really surprised pleasantly by the Kemba demotion. Um, I wasn't convinced it had to happen. I wasn't yet at the point. I, I, I still thought like, okay, maybe reduce his role. But like, I didn't, I didn't see this coming. And I think Thibodeau has a reputation because he has a rep as an old school coach, which he is. I think there's an automatic assumption of a certain amount of intractability. Um, so I was really impressed that, especially after last season, you might've thought like Tom Thibodeau was loyal to a fault to Alfred Payton. And given who Kemba Walker is in the league compared to Alfred Payton, like that could go on, you know, for a decade. I was really impressed by that. And there are moments where the Knicks have done things that are so counter to their own culture and history when they, um, drafted Porzingis, like, that was, I loved I loved that move on draft night, even knowing it might be a bomb, just because I liked the fact that the Knicks were going for, like, this different kind of player. They were going for someone who was expected to have, like, an impact on, on both sides of the ball, which was not something the Knicks, like, often seemed to prioritize at that time. Um, do you find the Kemba move, first, I guess two-part question. One, is this the end of Kemba Walker as a Nick? Like, do you think that there's a, a way for him to work back um, into the rotation? Let me, let me let me start with that part A of the the two part question. Do you think Kemba's done, or do you think there's still a way that Kemba Walker come the playoffs is a meaningful part of the rotation? Yeah, um, I don't think necessarily he has to be done. Um, I'm interested in. I think there's a couple of things. He has looked less explosive. And I wonder how much of it is both parties saying, you know, it's fine if he can. Um, they're saying it as, as a performance related demotion, right? They had the, um, they had the opportunity. Tibbs had the opportunity today to say, well, Kemba's working through some stuff with his knee. And for the time being, we're going to let him do that. He did not say that. He said that, um, you know, uh, he respects what Kemba's did, but he has to do what's best for the team. So that is a performance-related emotion. Can Kemba be a part of the rotation, or is he done? Um, I don't think. I think that's still up in the air. Um, I think there's a few factors. Um, number one, I think it's up to Kemba Walker, right? Um, is he comfortable being the bench player uh, who doesn't necessarily play the vet? Who will, you know, if there's injuries or if, you know, if they need a spark or something, he'll come when called upon, but isn't going to be a regular player. How much does that matter? Uh, there are people who said who he he would have been fine doing that in Oklahoma City. Uh, will he be fine doing that here after, especially all of, uh, you know, all of the fanfare that accompanied his arrival? Um, that's number one. Number two is is there going to be a market for him? Right, um, you know. I don't think he would want to go to a, a, a young team and be John Wall or be playing with them and, and not play for anything. I think he'd rather probably contribute to a winner. Um, and I think it'll be tough for him to get minutes on any contender, right? Um, 
you know, I mean, who, who really, right? The Cavs, I think the Cavs with Sexton out, they could maybe use a point guard and, and they are maybe not a contender, but they're a good team. But there it's going to be the same thing. Right now, I don't imagine there's a huge market for him. Um, to, to put it in perspective, Derrick Rose was significantly better in, in Detroit than Kemba Walker is right now. Uh, he wasn't what he is now for people like he, I think there was still risk in that move, but we got him for a second round pick in Dennis Smith Jr. Um, if that was his market, Kemba's is not going to be very good. Um, so I don't think the Knicks need to be in a rush to trade him unless it helps the match salary in a bigger move. Um, so I think that if, if Kemba is willing to say, put his ego aside, and I don't think he has a big ego, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying with, with most star players, just telling them you're going to be the old man off the bench to provide leadership and occasionally a spark, that can be tough to swallow. But if he's willing to do that, I don't think they, he's not a bad culture fit, right? He's not a bad locker room guy. Um, you know, he can still shoot a little bit and, and run the point guard position for minutes at a time. Um, I think there's a role there for him. Um, but if they're able to use a salary and a deal to improve the team, they will. Um, and and if he says that, you know, I want to go play for a team that values me and some team does, I can't think of that team right now um, or that it would necessarily work out, um, then I think they will acquiesce. But that's how I see that playing out. It, as far as him beating out any of the current Knicks for playing time, uh, I don't think that's happening. Uh, I think his devotion speaks as much to the guard depth of the Knicks as anything else. Um, definitely give Franz, uh, definitely give Thibodeau credit for um, for making the move. Um, but I think that is one difference. I thought Emmanuel quickly was a superior player to Alfred Payton, as was Derek Rose. But quickly is much better this year. So um, you know he's a year older. Burks has improved, has more fit. You know. Um, Burks, I think for much of his career, if you look at his past few years, he was on a different team every year. Like he would be on some bad team, put up some good stats, get treated to a contender, but then, you know, it, you can't just immediately switch it on. It's what happened to Fournier last year where fitting into a new team, especially one that already has its own flow, is tough. This year with finally some continuity, you're seeing him show out. Um, you know, Grimes has looked good. Rose, obviously, you still have him. RJ needs minutes. Fournier needs minutes, right? Both of those guys play the guard position. So with that, I think it becomes... I, I don't see Kemba beating out any of those guys, and you need to have minutes for all of them. So, um, so no, I don't see him beating those guys out for rotation minutes, but I can see him being a guy when the Knicks are struggling, you know, if there's guys that are out on injuries, if they need... Uh, you know, veteran point guards have come in. You know, there was a playoff game a few years ago where Anthony Carter came in and gave the Knicks a spark, right? Um, you know, I mentioned Gary Payton on the Heat. So th- it's not that, you know, he can't have a role, but it won't be regular. It will be situational in the more literal sense of that word. And he'll have to buy in. Um, so, yeah. First, I just want to say how nice it is to be at a point where we're having a conversation about the Nick backcourt depth and you can say something like there's just really no room for Kemba Walker. Like we have been in a lot of situations where that <laughs> even this Kemba Walker would not, you would not say that about, well, um, you know, you know what, what else was nice kind of in a similar note. Yeah. Um, there was Gonzaga versus Duke was on uh, last week mm-hmm. and it was nice to watch that game and not be like, Oh my God, we need to get that guy. Or I wonder <laughs> if we're going to draft him. If he's going to be worth our fifth pick. Cause like, you know, that that is a that's nice. Yeah, I I did I knew far less about last year's like lottery class than I have in a long time, and like I was very cool with that. I, it was like very retro. Um, last thing I want to ask you, I don't know if you have an answer for this. Um, it's just a curiosity. Do you see any differences, positive or negative? Let me rephrase the question. How do you feel right now about Tom Thibodeau versus how you felt about Tom Thibodeau at the end of last season or when he signed here? Like, have you, have you learned something about him that you didn't know? Do you think his ceiling is greater or lesser than you imagined? Um, I was always reasonably high on the, the Thibodeau hire. Uh, him and Kenny Atkinson were probably my top two choices. 
Um, there's other guys, you know, Imei Udoka, Udoka I liked. Um, I was pretty much on the anyone but Mark Jackson bandwagon. Um, it was a big bandwagon. <laughs> um, no disrespect to his accomplishments as a Nick, but um, I've never been a fan of him as a coach. Um, so not just on the court stuff, but you know what, what we've heard off the court. Um, so, but I was always high in Tibbs. Um, there was a time when he was in Chicago. I remember the year where um, Rose was hurt, and they still went to the fourth. They got the fourth seed. Um, Noah was Joakim Noah was an MVP candidate, and that season with all the injuries they had, that was peak Popovich time. And I, I got in a couple arguments with friends where I legitimately argued that Tibbs was the best coach in basketball. Uh, again, during Greg Popovich's heyday. So I've always had a lot of respect for him as a coach. What I wondered after Minnesota was, does he have the ability to relate to young players? Does he grind on them? That's been perhaps, I don't want to say the biggest surprise, but a very pleasant uh, learning is that the, the players, whether you're talking about the youngest players on the team or you're talking about Julius Randle, all seem extremely bought in. Um, and even, even some of his old players in Minnesota, I think some of those narratives at the time may have been overblown. Um, you know, if you look at, you, you listen to Andrew Wiggins talk about Tibbs, he has nothing but good things to say. Kat has said a few things that are a little bit uh, concerning about Tibbs. Um, you know, but I think the rest of the players, obviously Jimmy Butler would run through a wall for Tom Thibodeau. So he's well-respected more so than, and I think when he was hired, a lot of players had these things where, you know, he's an old curmudgeon white guy. Can he relate to today's NBA players? I think that has been pleasant to see. Um, I think being able to turn last year's defense around the way he did gave me a ton of confidence. Um, not to, We knew he was a good defensive coach, but a team that had really just been awful on that end previously, he was able to simplify things, get them to execute and play hard for eight, uh, 72 games. Um, and I think he showed, he, he showed an understanding of offense, right? I, I think that one misconception, even though we do this a lot late in games, is that Tibbs doesn't get offense or he's just an iso ball guy. They've run some very creative sets. Their usage of Spain pick and roll is pretty, um, is great. Um, and they, they've taught their guards to be great screeners. You know, I actually think Emmanuel quickly is a better screener than Nerlens Noel and Mitchell Robinson, um, which says both a lot about both parties. Yeah, you just said a lot of that one sentence. <laughs> um, but no, but some of the best screeners are guards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, including the player that I think every Knicks fan is like sacrificing, Mentally, they're doing human sacrifices. To, you know, I, what would I give up for Emmanuel quickly to turn into Steph Curry, right? But he, that's what he's done in his career uh, is he's a great screener. You know, if you sometimes illegal uh, and quickly does that too, but I bet it's helpful. Um, so I, I think that Tibbs has been more creative on offense. I think in terms of bugaboos, like that's the thing. My issues with Tibbs are more bugaboos about rotations than they are like philosophical differences. Um, I, I don't like just keeping players in for eight, 10, 12 minutes at a stretch. It's not even about the total minutes number, but I would rather at six minutes start to shift players in and out. Right. So we can be fresh. Um, but other than that, I I think my opinion has, it it became high last year and it stayed pretty much in the same ballpark. Um, he's a guy that's going to make you competitive. Can he win a championship? I think there's just more data that we need. Um, it's been a long time since Tom Thibodeau has had a contender, has coached a contender in the playoffs. And to the extent that he wasn't successful in that role, a lot of that had to do with a guy named LeBron James and another guy named Dwayne Wade. So he, he hasn't been in that situation where he has a team that legitimately can compete. So, and, and, and the reality is it's very tough to do that. It's very tough to be that kind of coach. So that's an, an, an incomplete for me or an and slash A. Um, but no, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty okay with Tibbs. And the last thing I'll say is, um, having heard this from someone, right? I think it's worthwhile noting that the Knicks have embraced analytics quite a bit. And so someone who has some knowledge of the situation that I talked to was saying that Tibbs himself is not a big analytics guy, but he has someone on the staff who he trusts, who will give him analytics information, right? Or who will advise him on those things and Tibbs will, will, will drive at that. And I have to imagine they've played somewhat of a role in the in Kem- Benjamin Kemba, or, or at least, you know, because the numbers are just, there is very little debate around it, right? So, um, but overall, pretty enthused with Tibbs, and the issues I have with him are more minor bugaboos than anything else. Um, that's what I would put it as. 
minor bugaboos as opposed to systemic issues. Not even like with a guy like David Fisdale, but even a guy like Mike, Mike D'Antoni, where you know he's a great coach, but there are there are just um, those flaws that can submarine a team, right? Whether it's you know his defensive strategies, whether it's over reliance on not just three point shooting, but pick and roll, and when that gets stopped, and you only can attack switches, not having uh, you know counters for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see anything like that with Tibbs. So, all right. For the moment, all is well in Nickville. So we're just gonna call it. Call yeah, we got the the Battle of the Burrows tomorrow. Boy, what are your thoughts on that game? Battle of the Burrows. I don't really know. So I feel really good after the Atlanta game, and I'm facing that conundrum where, like, you know, do I roll for another big win or do I hold where I am? Like, part of me wants to be practical and decide that, like, I'm okay if they lose that game. Like, Brooklyn's really good, and, like, they still have a chance. Denver now, Michael Porter Jr. is out for the season. They have other injury issues going on. Like, this could very easily win home games against Chicago and Denver. And if they're 13-10 and 10 after the stretch they just went through, fine. Like, I would have signed up for that probably a week ago. But then part of me is like, okay, but they really did look good against Atlanta. Like, like they looked like that might be the team going forward. And that team, you know, Brooklyn's not playing great. Like, you know how good you would feel if they won that game? Like, so I'm just going to let it happen. If they are down 10, you know, late in the third, I'm going to be like preparing myself for knowing that it was a likelihood. But man, if if they're within, you know, eight with like four minutes left, I'm going to be like wanting it like bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's something to be said about beating, like especially in the Atlantic Division, and how how much the Knicks have been beaten up. Uh, I, I've said this before. I think beating Philadelphia twice has been huge, yeah. with or without Ben Simmons, with or without like they weren't able to do it last year, even with the resurgence. Um, I think when they play Miami, that'll be important too, because that's another team that has bullied and dominated us, and we couldn't get over the hump. And yes. Brooklyn is right there. Um, having said that, I do agree with you a little bit that. Um, I mean, the big factor is this. What I want to see is that if Kevin Durant is just hitting jump shots that you can't do anything about, that's just going to happen, right? Um, I'm not going to kill the Knicks over that. Um, But if they're not getting back in transition, if there is laziness on switches, that's the stuff that you don't want to see, which you didn't see last year against the Nets. They put in a good effort every game. They played them quite tough. Um so so on the one hand, I do think it matters in the sense that eventually we're going to have to beat the teams in our division to like really have that psychological edge. Uh, it's another reason why that Toronto loss was more upsetting to me than, than I think normal, um, because that's another one of those teams that has owned this division and the Knicks have to you know start asserting themselves against those teams. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say is given that the Nets do not have a ton of front court depth, uh, I th- given what we talked about before, I would like to see Obi and Randall played together as a changeup, um, with or without Kevin Durant on the floor. Um, I, I also, yeah, I wonder who they're going to put on Kevin Durant. Um, you know, RJ and Randall would be the the main, the likely the likely candidates. But um, you know, especially if they have to put Burks on Harden. But um, you know, any thoughts there? How do you think they're going to guard Durant? Hello. I think Randall. I think they're gonna. I feel like they're gonna throw a lot of Randall at him, um, and I feel like that. I feel like this is the kind of game where Randall can best benefit the team, maybe more in a decoy role, like not coming out and looking to score thirty points, but you know he could really be, like you said, against a, a short kind of shallow front court of Brooklyn. Like I feel like he can create a lot of opportunities. Um, and help on the boards and not have to not have to put up 18 shots or you know 27 points but could do a lot of a lot and and focus your defense on Kevin Durant and make him feel you on the other end as much as you can you know presuming that you can get that matchup I would like to see Randall I would like to see Randall you know make Durant feel him for 41 minutes 
Yeah, I mean, in terms of guarding Kevin Durant and ISO, to the extent anyone can, which is to say I don't think there really isn't anyone or anyone on earth who, when he's feeling it, can make him uncomfortable. By far, Randall, I think, is the best option. With RJ, maybe a close second. Um, but I think what can't happen is he cannot fall asleep getting back in transition, right? Yeah. It, it, like it's, I'm not worried about when KD isos him from the elbow, he's either going to make it or not, but uh, Randall isn't going to get blown by there he's actually quite good at that and he can maybe use his strength to to make durant as uncomfortable as he can what he can't have happen is just not pick him up on transition so that'll be the key thing and if he's locked in um you know i think the knicks can do well and yeah i mean he's going to cause some problems for i don't know if they put maybe they put Harden on randall because he's he's bulkier and he's actually a decent post defender um but he's capable of causing some problems on the other end but um it should be a fun game yeah the Friday game against Atlanta was the biggest game of the year, especially because the Knicks won. If they take care of Brooklyn tomorrow, it will be the new biggest game of the year. Um, And we will be wrapping up this episode, but when we talk to you next time, I'm sure we'll have thoughts about that game and some of the other big games coming this week. The Chicago Bulls and the Denver Nuggets also will be visiting Madison Square Garden. So for myself and for Stacey Patton, thank you for being with us. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.